We're glad again tonight to have Dr. Don Sisk here with us. We were just talking a minute ago at how God has taken him from humble beginnings there in Kentucky and now preaching to some 81, 82 countries all over the world. Just blows my mind what God does with a life. And we are so privy to fame and fortune on television and on the internet. We get so impressed with what people are doing with money and riches and resources. And yet we've got a God who's doing so much with so little, not for our glory, but for his. And Dr. Sis is just a wonderful, wonderful story of God's amazing grace. All of us are benefited. For those of you that are new to Crossroads, many of you that perhaps are tuning in online have never been to Missions Conference, you've never met Dr. Sisk, well, you're a beneficiary of it. What he has done for Crossroads Baptist Church has not just benefited us and our family, but it has benefited the entire world. We're so thankful for the years he spent and still amazed that he's getting up every week, going somewhere, somewhere every single week. He'll finish here on Sunday and get up, catch a 6.15 flight on Monday morning and head back and head somewhere else. We're so thankful. Only heaven will tell how many lives have been impacted by one life yielded to the Lord. Maybe this missions conference will be the night where one of us decides, Lord, I'm going to yield my life. And maybe 50, 60 years from now, we'll be celebrating what God has done through you. We thank the Lord that he still takes the time to come here and be with us, ministering to us, not just in the pulpit, ministering to our families, to our children. He's a great resource of counseling, investment in the lives of young missionaries and young preachers and old preachers all over the world. And we're glad he still makes time for Crossroads Baptist Church. Let's give my hearts and our ears as he comes to preach the word of God to you. All right. Uh, I might be starting a family feud, okay? Because uh, he said, uh, you know who that lady is singing? And I said, oh, yes, I, I know who that is. And he said, uh, that's my older sister. But said, I boss her around. And uh, I also boss my older brother around. So uh, if y'all want to get even with that and start a feud, <laughs> I, I could not help but think this afternoon that uh, 42 years ago, I was preaching at the Fairfax Baptist Temple in a missions conference. And uh, before I preached, a preacher uh, that I had never met before in my life uh, got up and, and gave a testimony. And I, I'll never forget it. I mean, from the very moment that I heard his testimony, and uh, God knitted our hearts together. And I, I remember going back to the room that night and telling my wife, and I've always had a burden for black people. Uh, I was born and raised in Kentucky. Until I got out of high school, I had never had a conversation with a black person. Everything was segregated. But uh, I, I saw how that uh, people were treated. And, 
And even before I got saved, uh, even as an unsaved person, I thought, how unjust things are. And uh, my first job was at Inland Steel. And I met a young black man that had just finished his first year at Purdue University. And he and I became friends. And uh, some of my white friends <laughs> began to call me some bad names and so forth. And, but I found out that he was a believer. And I told them, he and I are closer than you and I. Because we were both believers, you know. Anyway, uh, I had sought for someone to work with uh, reaching the black community. And there's so many. <clears throat> and <clears throat> when I went home that night, we went to the room where we were staying. And, and I said to Virginia, uh, I have met the person that I can work with in that endeavor. And uh, we've been working at it a long time, Brother Rick. And we've come a long way, amen, a long, long way. Uh, I became a great admirer of Martin Luther King. Now, I hated his theology, but I loved what he did for your race, okay? And what, what a wonderful testimony that is. <clears throat> and, and Dr. Ms. Baldwin became uh, probably two of the best friends that we have ever had in our whole life. When Virginia had her first uh, brain surgery, uh, they flew all the way from Washington, D.C. to LAX and was in the same hotel that we were in uh, before the operation. And, and I never will forget <clears throat> uh, we, you know, we, it, it was a very difficult time for me because, you know, I had no idea whether Virginia would even live through the surgery or not. But uh, the surgery was very successful, and uh, we met with the neurosurgeon, and he gave us some good news, and and by the way, she had 10 good years after that, and we thank God for that. But, but I remember after we had gotten the good news from Dr. Gabriel Hunt, one of the world's foremost neurosurgeons, and uh, af after he left, uh, Brother Baldwin said to me, he said, Brother Don, you didn't tell me he was black. I said, Lou, we weren't looking for a color. We were looking for a neurosurgeon. <laughs> and, and now he accuses me of not knowing black from white, okay? But uh, the, the, thank, thank you. And, and uh, you know, I started to say Michael was just a little boy, but he never was real little, okay? But, uh, and, I, and I, I think maybe uh, uh, Brother Kenny at that time would have been, what, five, six years old? Something like that, huh? And uh, and we've been friends all these years, and I'll, I'll never forget. I'm, and they've taught me more uh, than than anything that I could ever imagine. So, whatever I am, I owe much to the Baldwin family, and thank you. And let's give all of them a hand tonight, okay? God bless you.
Now, he accuses me of a lot of things that I don't do, okay? Now, I didn't meet, make him eat that shrimp last night, and I didn't make him eat what he ate tonight, you know, but he has to have somebody to blame, so that, that, that's okay, okay? Uh, open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, and I'm going to begin reading with verse 1, and you'll stand as I read, okay? Wherefore, seeing we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witness, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. And, and really he's saying, okay, practice time is over. Now, uh, let's lay aside everything that is keeping us from running and being hindered by the sins and the weights of, around us. And then in, in verse 2, he says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. He authored it. Thank God he's going to keep it. Amen. Who for the joy that was set before him and endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest you be wearied and faint in your minds. Dear Lord, thank you for the wonderful word of God. Thank you for the wonderful worship service we've had tonight for the singing for the praising of your name and i pray dear lord that you'll continue to bless and use this great family and this great church in jesus name amen you may be seated i don't have to tell you that but preachers always say that anyway so uh i was in a, a meeting in texas not maybe 10 years ago and uh, the, the theme of the conference was running your race, running your race. And, and when the pastor introduced me, he said, now, Brother Sisk has run his race. And uh, I, I looked around and I pinched myself. And I thought, no, uh, I'm not dead yet. Okay, so we haven't finished our race un until we die, okay? And, uh, but Paul, not, not Paul, I, I don't know that Paul wrote Hebrews. I, all, I always thought he did. And then I met a good fundamental Baptist preacher that uh, uh, got his Ph.D. in Greek, and he said anybody that has one eye and half sense and knows any Greek at all knows that Paul didn't write Hebrews. Dr. Jack Kyles used to say, John Rice wrote Hebrews, amen. And uh, I, I don't know who wrote it, okay. But uh, it doesn't make any difference. It's the word of God. And uh, different people are instruments that God used to give us our Bible, but God really wrote it all. So, uh, God. Now, uh, the, the, write, the writer that is writing this letter to the people here. Uh, he knows they're going through some very difficult times. 
Uh, we've been through some pretty difficult times recently, amen? And uh, he knows that many of them are getting worried and, and tired, and, and many of them were, were dropping out and, and dropping out of the, the ministry and so forth. And he's writing to encourage them. And uh, the, the theme of the book of Hebrews is enduring. Enduring, okay? And uh, um, many of the believers were going back. But Paul, the writer of Hebrews, and I can't keep from saying that, okay? But the writer of Hebrews just keeps saying, don't quit, don't quit, just keep going. Uh, in spite of the difficulties, just keep going. Now, I'm not going to preach on the race of the race tonight. But I'm, I'm, I just want to take one phrase from verse 3. Look at it. Consider him. Consider him. Now, he said, just keep your eyes on Jesus. Uh, think about him. Reflect on him. Meditate on him. Think about him, and that'll keep you from getting weary and tired. We have a great verse that says, Let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. And the way that we can keep on, in regardless of the difficulties and regardless of the disappointments and so forth, we can keep on and we can Finish well if we keep our eyes on him. Looking at others who have been victorious is profitable. In other words, he said, we are compassed about with so great a crowd of witness. And it, it just written the 11th chapter. And all of those great witnesses, and they had all kind of difficulties, all kind of trials, but they finished well. And the writer is saying here, now, now they finished well in spite of the difficulties, in spite of the troubles, and so forth they were having. So it's good that we look at those that have finished well. And by the way, we're now 2,000 years plus from then. And uh, we can read biographies of the people that have been so faithful through the years. But we want to look at something even more than all of these great saints written about in chapter 11 and all the people through the 21st century, 21st centuries uh, have written. And here he's saying, Consider him. And you know the him is Jesus, amen. Consider him. So let me mention two or three things. Number one, consider who he is. Consider who he is. It does us good every once in a while just to think about who he is. He's the Alpha and the Omega. The first and the last and everything in between, amen. Uh, 
there's never been a time when he was not, and there will never be a time when he is not. He is the eternal God. Consider him. He is the Prince of Peace. He is the one who is altogether lovely. He is impeccable one, the sinless son of God. He's the lily of the valley. He's the bright morning star. Uh, he's the creator of the universe. He spoke the world into existence. Through faith we understand that the worlds were formed by the word of God. You say, now, Brother says, you're from Kentucky and you're old. And you probably didn't have a very good science teacher. And you probably didn't learn about the Big Bang Theory. But I may surprise you. I truly believe in the Big Bang Theory. God spoke and bang, there it was. And by the way, that's exactly the way it happened. Read Genesis 1. And God said, and it was. And God said, and it was. And God said, over and over. He spoke the world into existence. Thank God he has not relinquished the authority. He will consummate the world according to his divine plan. Hey, by the way, don't get so nervous thinking somebody's going to push the wrong button and destroy the world. God created the world, and he's going to consummate it in his own time, in his own way. Now, Christians worry about a lot of dumb things. Uh, by the way, we know what's going to happen. We've read the last chapter, amen? He is the one who spoke as never man spake. He is the miracle worker. He is a kinsman redeemer. He's related to us as humans, and he is able to redeem. He is our example as a humble servant. Think about him washing the feet of the disciples. Yet he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He's the suffering savior. He bears our sins. He's a resurrected Lord. He is alive. He is a mediator. He ever lives to make intercession for us. He's the coming Lord of lords and King of kings. And we'll see him one day. And when we see him, we will be like him, for we shall see him as he is. By the way, if that wasn't in the Bible, no way I could believe that. Isaiah, the prophet, tells us that he is wonderful, counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. He saw him as the thrice holy God, and he fell at his feet to worship him. And by the way, when we, through the eyes of faith, see him, we too will worship him. Even his arch enemies had to admit, I find no fault in him. By the way, the reason they couldn't find any fault in him, there wasn't any fault in him, maybe. Listen to it. Apply your mind to him. Reflect on him. Gaze steadily at him. Consider who he is. Now, number two, consider him 
when you need a Savior. And by the way, all of the 8 billion people on planet Earth need a Savior. Because the Bible plainly says, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. I often think about the ninth chapter of the book of Acts that Pastor Baldwin talked about last night. And Saul, yet breathing out threatening and slaughters against the disciples of the Lord, went into the high priest and desired of him a letter to Damascus, to the synagogue that he be found any of that way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem, have them executed. But before he got to Damascus, he met Jesus. And, and, and right away, he, he saw him. And by the way, the Bible tells us very plain, it was Jesus Christ himself. And I do not know that Jesus ever appeared to anybody on the earth after his ascension than this time. And that shows you the grace of God, amen? This evil man, Saul of Tarsus, who was trying to wipe out the name of Jesus. And Jesus appeared to him. Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And by the way, when people are persecuting Christians, they are persecuting Jesus. And Saul, who art thou, Lord? That's a good question. And he told it, he's Lord. Who art thou, Lord? And you know, Jesus could have gone over, over all these things that I said about him a while ago, and so many more, but he didn't. What did he tell him? I am who? Jesus. And you know what Saul needed? He needed a Savior. And so Jesus simply said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. What would thou have me to do? And thank God, Saul of Tarsus became Paul the Apostle. You need a Savior? Consider him. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And by the way, he didn't say, I'm one of the ways, I'm one of the truths, I'm one of the life. No, I am the way, the truth, the life. And no man comes to the Father but by me. Paul was religious. He was zealous for his religion. He was sincere, but he was lost. He needed a Savior. And Jesus saved him. He is able and willing to save all that will come to him. Acts 4.12, there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. 1 Timothy chapter 2, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved 
and come to the knowledge of truth. And by the way, I cannot miss this. Don't let anybody tell you that Jesus only died for a few people. He died for the sins of the world. For there is one God and one mediator. You say, well, that's pretty narrow. Thank God it's just as narrow as the Bible, amen. But it's just as broad as the Bible. And isn't it strange? The people that call us intolerant, that they're the most intolerant people in the world to us. Okay. There's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. By the way, isn't it due time we told the rest of the world about him? Man of sorrow, what a name. What was the son of God who came? Suffered, died on the cross. Hallelujah. What a Savior. Number three, consider him when you're being tried or tested. When you're being tempted. And by the way, we cannot avoid temptation. We cannot avoid trials. And the word temptation, sometimes it means trials. For instance, it says, Abraham was tempted. And by the way, God never tempts anybody to sin. Satan tempts men to sin because he wants to destroy their life and send them to an eternity in hell where he'll be with them. God tries us that he might make us what we ought to be. So listen to the verse. When you're tempted, when you're tried, consider him. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. For there hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted above that you're able, but will with the temptation make a way of escape. When you're tried, and God tries us, and by the way, a, try, a, a faith that cannot be tried cannot be trusted. And Satan tempts us. But the good thing is, Satan is not able to tempt us above that which we are able to resist. And many times people make the statement, well, I was just tempted so badly, I could not resist. That's never true. That's never true. Notice what he said. That we are able, but will with every temptation always make a way to escape. That you may be able. Now think about it. When you're tempted, either you will look for the way of escape or you will make an excuse to sin. <laughs> And by the way, there is no excuse. So thank God when you are tempted, 
consider him. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may find grace to help in the time of need. When you're tempted, when you're tried, and you feel that you cannot endure, gaze at him. Reflect on him. Consider him. Tell it to Jesus. Now, consider him when it comes your time to die. And by the way, we're all going to unless Jesus comes before we die. Now, to be honest with you, uh, I'd rather go up in the rapture, amen? But if he don't come real soon, <laughs> I won't go up in the rapture. And so uh, we're, we're all going to die. So consider him when it's time to die. Uh, I, I read today about a, a great man, a great football player, but a great man in civil rights. Jim Brown died. 87 years old. It's strange anymore. Every time somebody dies, it looks like they're 86, 87, 80. <laughs> anyway. We will all die if Jesus did not come in our generation. And by the way, death is not the end. It is a transition from one place to another. Consider him when death comes. You knew and loved my wife. And I've always loved the statement, absent from the body and present with the Lord. I'm, I mean, the Christian really doesn't die. Absent from the body and immediately present with the Lord. All they do is change addresses. It used to be planet Earth, and now, thank God, it's heaven. And I'll never forget July the 8th, 1 a.m. in the morning, when she breathed her last breath of earthly air and her first breath of celestial air. What a peace it was to know that even though she had breathed her last breath here, that she was in the presence of God. Paul said, the time of my departure is at hand. And, uh, and what he was saying was, and he, he wasn't morbid or anything. Hey, the time of my departure is at hand. Uh, I'm going to take up my tent from one place, and I'm going to move it to another place. You know, when a ship leaves a port, uh, you don't say, well, that's the end of that ship. No, 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 it's going to another port. So when the Christian dies, we're absent from the body and we're present with the Lord and we are with him. And not only that, in John 14, 1, the Bible says, 
Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye shall be also. You know, you can hear anything uh, listening to the radio or uh, watching the television religious program. I heard this young fellow say the other day, it's been over 2,000 years he's not coming back. And I thought, boy, one day are you going to be surprised, amen? <laughs> hey, it doesn't matter what anybody says. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you in myself. That where I am, there you may be also. Consider him. I mean, it's mission conference. Consider him when you think about what you're going to give to faith promise this year. Consider him. Okay. Uh, let me talk to some of you young couples, some of you young people. Consider him when you think about what you're going to do in your life. What is your life? Is even a vapor that appears for a little while. Short. It's a gift from God. Consider him. Listen to Paul in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though... He was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor. You think about that. He was rich. He was richer than anyone could un ever think about being. He created the world, and it was created by him and for him. And the created being for all eternity had worshipped and adored him in heaven and he left all of that and came to this earth, born of a virgin, lived a perfect life, suffered and bled on Calvary's tree. No one ever became as poor as he was. And when he cried out in Gethsemane, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me, He's not just talking about the physical suffering, but the fact that all of the sins of the world are going to be placed upon him. Consider what he did for you. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. By the way, he didn't say you know about the grace of God. He said you know experientially the grace of God. He's talking to Christians. And by the way, if you're a saved person, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. You have experiences. Amen. So when you decide, what am I going to do with my life? Could I hurt? Could I maybe spoil your thinking? It's not yours. 
What know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit of God, which you have of God, and you are not your own. You are bought with a price. You belong to God. Your life belongs to God. Would you consider the call that Isaiah heard when he saw the thrice holy God high and lifted up? Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And Isaiah said the right thing. Here am I, Lord, send me. Today, most young men say, here's my sister, send her. Huh? Wait a minute. Isn't it about time some God, some of God's young people, young couples, maybe middle-aged couples, listen and obey the call of God? Here am I. Send me. The world is lost and dying and going to hell. Jesus did everything that needed to be done for mankind to be saved. And we are his ambassadors now on this earth. Consider him. Let's pray. With their heads bowed and their eyes closed. A couple of simple questions. But would you think seriously about it? Just because we're in mission conference, just because you're a member of the church, doesn't necessarily mean that you're saved and going to heaven. Consider what Jesus said. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. The only way we can come to him is to admit that we're sinners and on our way to hell and then trust him as our Lord and Savior. And by the way, until you realize you're a sinner, there is no way you can be saved. I wonder if there's a man or woman or boy or girl in the building tonight that would say, Brother Sis, I question my salvation. I'm not sure that I'm saved and going to heaven. Well, I've made a profession of faith. Maybe I've been baptized. But I'm not really sure that I've ever been born again. That I've trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior. I wonder if you'd consider that tonight. By the way, let me urge you. Consider him. He'll save you tonight. He'll save you tonight. I wonder if there's anyone like that tonight here. Just lift your hand and say, Preacher, pray for me. I'm not sure that if I died this very moment that heaven would be my eternal destiny. I'm not sure that all my sins have been saved, taken away, forgiven, that my name's been written in the Lamb's book of life. I'm not sure about that. But I am sure about the fact that I don't want to go to hell. And would you let me pray for you tonight? If you're not sure you're saved and going to heaven, 
just, just lift your hand and let me pray for you. I'll not call your name. And I promise you, I will not embarrass you in any way whatsoever. But I sure would love to pray for you. Anybody like that tonight? Just lift your hand and say, Preacher, God is convicting me tonight. I do need to be saved. I do need to be saved. I wonder if they're Christians here tonight. And you'd say, Brother Sid, I know I'm saved. I know I'm going to heaven. But when I, I consider Jesus and all that he is, and I've, I've considered the fact that he's the Savior, and I've considered the fact that he loves me, and he said, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. But there's some commitments, some decisions that I need to make tonight. How about that? There's some decisions. God has dealt with my heart. There's some decisions I need to make. I wonder if you just lift your hand and say, pray for me, Brother Sid. As I've listened to the missionaries this week, as I've listened to the preaching, there's some decisions I need to make. There's some commitments I need to make. Pray for me. Lift your hands real high. Would you do it? God bless you. God bless you. There's some commitments I need to make, some decisions I need to make. Pray for me. Pray for me. Dr. Baldwin's going to come and lead us in our closing prayer. Pastor. As you pray in your seats tonight, there really is no greater motivation for the child of God than Jesus. Our lives and our world and everything that happens in them make it so easy to be distracted. You know, it's possible to live the Christian life without looking at Christ. We just go through the motions. We learn behaviors, going to church and punching the clock and doing the routines and here, there, and everywhere. Next thing you know, we're just about ready to give up, give in, and give out. That's the Hebrews. What a timely word for those Hebrew Christians who, by the way, had been abandoned by their families, and disowned by their friends, all because of their relationship with Christ. If, if ever persecution was real, it was to them. And, Paul said, I, I can't give you a better pep talk than this. Consider him. Oh, church, on this Friday night in the month of May, let's look at Jesus. Let's leave here looking at Jesus, motivating us to, to go on, to keep on, to be faithful. God's not done with us yet. The race is still in progress. May God help us consider him. Lord, thank you for the word. May help us. And may we not just hear it, but heed it. In Jesus' name, amen. Join me in thanking Dr. Sis for the message tonight.